Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. Yes, welcome back. This is the largest leak in British political history, part two. Uh, please like, share, subscribe, and do all of that stuff, and put stuff in the comments if you have any comments. Perhaps you have some answers to the questions we're going to be asking and the things we're going to be talking about. Um, yes, so if you did watch part one, which is already up, uh, we were talking about the Al Jazeera Labour Leaks files, uh, the biggest leak of British uh, in British political history, where we where they showed and looked at various things that have happened in the Labour Party. So all sorts of dirty tricks and tactics, uh, the involvement of the Israeli state, um, lies, smear campaigns, um, allegations of anti-Semitism, all sorts of things which we discussed in part one. And we are now going to part two, where we're going to talk about the remaining episode, which we didn't cover last week, uh, which is the hierarchy and the smaller episode, the spying game. So those are the two videos we're going to be talking about, as well as some other stuff then when we get onto this idea of a controlled left and how what we saw with Labour, how that relates to uh, some of the politics in America, particularly with Bernie Sanders, a socialist trying to take over um, or move um, a party like the Democratic Party left in the same way that Corbyn was perhaps trying to move a party like the Labour Party to the left. Um, so yeah, Chris, uh, anything you want to just mention before we get into the actual uh, bits and parts of the videos? Um, so um, obviously with what you just said there, comparing it Corbyn to Sanders, it, it is very much the same tactic. Now in the space of since last episode, I've been watching a bit of a TV show uh, that apparently came from a book called A Very British Coup. And mm. I just thought how amazing it is that how old these tactics are. Now, if anyone's ever heard of this book, it's about a it's, it's a work of fiction about a guy called Harry Perkins, who becomes the leader of the Labour Party in the 70s. And he withdraws Britain from NATO and commits to nuclear disarmament. And between the British state media and the americans they pull every trick out of the book to discredit and remove this man from power in the end of the book it very uh it ends with basically the question of the potential of a military coup it shows like a shadow of a british soldier stood over a polling booth i just thought it's it's art simulating reality <laughs> mm, mm, it's just amazing mm. how how close obviously this was a fiction book of fiction written at this point 50 years ago mm -hmm. and it could mm. have happened in, in in our lifetime in the last labor leader it's just amazing right. how cool that matches right. up yeah yeah and like i mean like you said well like we discussed last week the general that was allowed to say um if you know, if Corbyn comes in, there'll be a mutiny, i.e. a yeah. coup. Something that we didn't mention, which which I found in a subsequent video, which with Corbyn talking about this stuff. So as we said last week, the British press, the newspapers and main press have not really talked about this leak, despite it being a, a massive leak. Um, but Corbyn obviously has made some comments and I haven't had a chance to look at all of them, but he did mention the fact that there were also British soldiers using him as target practice. There was a video yes. that came out of paratroopers in Afghanistan, I believe, shooting with handguns, pistols, at uh, a target, which was Jeremy Corbyn. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there's a video. You can go watch that video, too. So this idea that you're saying of a British coup, a uh, very British coup, the book, um, being believable, when you see uh, soldiers <laughs> using the, le the leader of the opposition as target practice, uh, as a picture of his target practice, and you see a general making the statements, that he did, then that doesn't actually, it's not that crazy. Not that crazy yeah. at all, actually. In fact, barely fiction, right? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how close we actually got to this sort of reality and how norm normal it all seemed at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, let's get into it then. So let's jump into it, as people on YouTube like to say. Um, we've got, uh, one second, hold on, just got to yeah Ooh, okay cool uh okay this is different sorry i've had to update my computer so everything is now different i will allow that okay uh okay yeah there we go so the first uh thing we're going to talk about is the hierarchy which is uh the third episode in the series so the series is quite long each episode is about an hour and a half this is the third one and I'm just going to play a small clip here how british democracy known as the mother of parliaments 
is being undermined by spying and dirty tricks. No one would expect that a political party would associate themselves with the whole scale hacking of the press. It looks like somebody is constantly monitoring me, where I'm going and where my car is parked and where my children is going. It just stinks to high heaven what they're doing in the background. Okay, so yeah, this is some of the stuff that <laughs> that's some of the stuff that uh, these this episode covers. Okay, so they're talking about the hacking of the of the press by the party. They're talking about um, also some of the racism when new um, constituencies tried to join or new members in an old constituency tried to join, and um, these guys were Muslim, and this was a big problem for the the establishment. Okay, so yeah, um, the first sort of timestamp I have. Um, I'm going to be mindful now because my sharing system is not at all um, the way it was before. So I'm just going to have to just do something quickly. But yeah, um, Chris, so I assume you've also seen this one, right? Yes. yes um, okay. Obviously, last time, I don't want to fall on the same pit of having to tell these sort of people, I told you so. Um, yes. <laughs> but it does, for that, that, that heard line there, nobody would have ever thought they would hack the press. So, mm -hmm, well, mm -hmm. we would have thought that. We did think that, <laughs> and I think a lot of our viewers <laughs> would have would, would also be more than aware of the lengths they can yes. and will go. So mm, it's nice. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It, it again. It's nice to have the fresh uh, example and the fresh proof that this is what they will do and what they would get up to in order to stay in power. Just a quick one here, showing again Jeremy Corbyn in, I believe, the 80s, protesting against apartheid. So this is the person that they tried to convince everyone uh, is, is a, a racist, racist or is an anti-Semite, yeah. He was a lifelong anti-racist campaigner and a champion of Palestinian rights. He challenged established politicians in his own party and the bureaucracy that was meant to serve him. Since Jeremy Corbyn was elected in... Okay, so yeah, just to give a recap there of who he is, who and what he did. Uh, let me jump ahead then to my next timestamp. So, um, yeah, before we go to the actual timestamp... Yeah, so this thing starts, of course, talking about how um, there was lots of racism within the Labour Party. So they talked about, um, uh, obviously, anti-black racism. So one of the councillors who went to Oxford... Uh, talks about how uh, she uh, was no longer seen as being really black because she was too educated and uh, and you know how black people in the party are seen as only being truly black if they're sort of poor or uneducated or something like that and she explains that in in the first sort of uh, parts of this documentary and also they give these examples of how um, you know a person of color would be in a position quite a high position and then be offered an, a new role which uh, on closer inspection would be uh, a cut in pay and then to become basically someone's assistant. So a demotion in effect and uh, a side sort of stepping. And they explained, you know, a number of people explained these kinds of things and how they take part, uh, happen in the party, this racism within the party. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah, let's go ahead straight to then the hierarchy of racism. So the first, <laughs> nice, we've got a comment there, Chris. We've got three girls in, in our city. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. That's uh, one of the comments from someone watching this right now. Okay, so, um, then, all right. Uh, okay. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, the, right. the next timestamp is, yeah, is over here. Okay. Um, yeah, the internet is a, it's, it's a wild place. Uh, so, yeah, this is the next one where they start talking about this hierarchy of racism. And this is all tied to something called the Ford Report, which I think will be explained uh, in this this one here um okay cool uh, yeah let's go for this one here okay okay no sound Go back a bit, sorry. It's a new system. 
The Ford Report also describes a hierarchy of racism. The party's more recent steps to address the problems with anti-Semitism, for example, have not been matched by a commitment to tackle other forms of racism. When I would speak to my peers and the superiors about why we're not tackling Islamophobia and anti-black racism with the same ferocity as we were with anti-Semitism, the response was always anti-Semitism is the organization's priority. As soon as an email would come in from the Jewish Chronicle, I would be told to stay behind and act on that case, even if it was just to suspend the member without even sending them questions, just so we can go back to the Jewish Chronicle and say, we've suspended this member. Other forms of discrimination do not result in automatic suspension. When we'd get lists from the Labour Muslim Network, they would often sit in the complaint centre for a while or in the complaints inbox. We weren't ever instructed to work on those immediately. One complaint under investigation concerns party member Martin Bridgman. He has shared several Islamophobic social media posts. The particular depiction of the Prophet Muhammad as a paedophile is something which the long-held Islamophobic trope and it's been used over centuries to, to suggest that there's something very like us um, about Muslim and Muslim men in particular. Okay, so yeah, um, I'll stop there for now. So yeah, Chris, um, a hierarchy of racism. So as she says there, if a complaint of anti-Semitism came in from the Jewish Chronicle, instant suspension, no questions asked. And if there were complaints of uh, Islamophobia, it will kind of just sit in the inbox for a while. Um, thoughts on that? So with racism and the way it's dealt with or not dealt with, the tide sort of turn in not just British establishment, but a lot of uh, nations depended on what's politically important at the moment. Um, with institutional black racism, you'd get a lot of that in the media at its peak, as long with Irish racism, say in the 70s, when it was politically convenient to do so as the enemy changes the target of the racism does now in terms of muslims we don't have any important geopolitical islamic allies the same way that we do jewish which is being the state of israel obviously we have saudi arabia but you basically can you, there's nothing that you can do to say to upset them because that in terms of offense they're quite they are quite thick-skinned because they care about financial assets more than mm. a nation upsetting their beliefs verbally in the uk the jewish population makes up 0.48 percent of our population where muslims make up 4.4 which is an incredible difference mm. in terms of percentages obviously when you say something is percentages it sounds small but these are huge gulfs of people um, so the reason why Islamic racism or Islamophobia isn't acted on in the same way is because there's nothing to gain by protecting them, politically speaking, by these parties. In fact, when you've got an electorate that votes depending on, a lot of the time, immigration issues, which is targeted primarily in our days at Islamic countries such as uh, mm. North Africa and the Middle East, it's convenient to not say anything because you want the electorate to vote for you where we don't have that same relationship with, we don't have an influx of Jewish immigrants coming into the country from, from these countries. Mm, so mm, mm. it's convenient for them to not say anything when there's an influx of Islamophobia and Islamic hate crimes. Mm, mm, right. mm, hate yeah. crimes based at the Islamic community, not crimes committed by the Islamic community. Yeah, no. uh, good point. I think it's an excellent point you say about how this thing, these things change. I mean, if you think about anti-Italian um, or Islam um, xenophobia in America, or uh, anti-Irish, uh, as you said, with the, with, with the, the IRA and stuff. That yeah, these things do change. The the sort of discourse on um, racism and xenophobia changes as conditions yeah. change. 
as new people come in and new problems emerge and, and new antagonisms uh, come to the fore. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the old um, the old racist sign that you'd see very often in, in old pubs in, in London back in the day. No blacks, yeah. no dogs, no Irish. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. I said we changed that sign because we started letting dogs in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, also there's also this, uh, you know, there's, there's that saying that um, people say that, you know, all... All, uh, all Muslims are terrorists, and all, 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 all terrorists are Muslims. Something to do with bombs, and and how only yeah. only Muslims do this, and stuff like that. But it's very short-sighted because I mean, I, I, I was once discussing that with my grandmother, and she said, "Well, you know, the Irish actually used to be the terrorists, and they used to blow up and stuff." Because she's from Birmingham, and that was quite a an important thing when thing that they were told and would talk about and would would hear. So yeah, it yeah. does change with with time. People forget as well um, the racism of the past. Sometimes does actually disappear too, um, as the new the new threat or the new, uh, you know, buzzword comes about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, later in this part here, they also talk about, you know, specifically there's a guy from the, the, the spectator, he writes for the spectator and he published some very, you know, anti Islamic, anti Islamophobic stuff um, saying that they had a ple an unpleasant ideology and dehumanizing them. And because he's a journalist, it took them two years to suspend him. So he said this, it was out there uh, for people to see and read for, for a long time before they did anything. So they, there's evidence of this hierarchy of racism, that the anti-Semitism was at the top and um, other forms of racism weren't as important. I mean, and I think to stress here, the anti-Semitism wasn't at the top because I think these people care about anti-Semitism because they clearly don't care about racism. They clearly are happy to push stuff under the rug if it's politically um, convenient. They only chose that because it was something that they could get at Jeremy Corbyn with. It was a hammer. Yeah, it was low-hanging fruit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the idea that they actually put anti-Semitism to, at the top because they cared about it is not true. They, they certainly did not care about discrimination. Um, okay, so yeah, uh, I mean, they also talked about this report of what do British Muslims really think? So this is a video that came out a few years ago. And the video makes a very good point. They say... Um, if you change those words to Jews, so what do British Jews really think? It sounds outrageous. It sounds, I mean, I've said something you'd never, ever publish. And it was from the BBC, yeah. this video. And uh, that individual who made the video was was in the Labour Party, and they did suspend him in the end. Uh, but then they, re, you know, he was allowed to come back. Um, so that's another thing that goes over in that video. But I'm not going to play that stuff there. I'm going to go straight to um, this community in Newham. So this was quite an open uh, piece of racism by the party, um, Islamophobia. So basically you had a new branch, uh, not a sorry, an old branch, but with a new population. So there was, uh, you know, a, a now a Muslim majority population in this um, constituency. And, you know, with Jeremy Corbyn, people thought, oh, actually, this, this guy talks, uh, we like how he talks. We want to join the Labour Party. We want to be a part of all this energy. We want to, you know, politics, it sounds like something that represents us now with, with Corbyn. So we want to join up. And this talks about some of the things that happened to them and the way that they were described and the way that them getting and starting to be involved in politics was described um, by the uh, you know, rivals to Corbyn. So I'm going to put that in here. Um, okay. Explicitly that he fears Newham is being infiltrated by a number of Pakistani men something that I saw as clear-cut Islamophobia. The word infiltrate is quite a loaded term, especially when you're talking about a group of Muslims who are trying to engage within politics. It's shocking to use the word infiltrate. It's othering, it's putting people outside of the mainstream. It's very symptomatic that somebody who's working full-time for the Labour Party would see people who wanted to join as infiltrators. I think that's quite disgraceful and says a huge amount about their level of consciousness around race. So jump ahead quickly. This is the councillor, this individual over here, um, who... Yeah, he experienced lots of the anti-Islamophobic racism. So let's take a look at this. was also accused of undermining Mayor Wales. When we joined the Labour Party, we believed in the fairness and the definition of the Labour Party. And this is totally going against the Labour Party. 
the attitude towards Tahir and Mahmood was that they were dangerous, that they had their own agenda and that they were carrying out communal politics. Muslim men on a mission to destroy the Labour Party. Mm. And I'm jumping ahead to the dossier. So they made a dossier, um, which this is really, uh, you know, damning the kind of stuff that you're going to hear right now. So place that, play that. Well, that was included in such a dossier. It's a shocking document. It seems to me that somebody actually working inside the Labour Party against ethnic minority. The dossier contains private information about the lives and activities of Muslim members and their families. We have redacted this information. Mehmood Mirza is registered to vote and is a member of the party at an address in West Ham. There is clear evidence that Mehmood Mirza, his wife and children live in East Ham. One of his children attends the nearby academy and the other a local primary school. His car, license number, has been parked on several occasions near to... It looks like somebody is constantly monitoring me. They have got all the information about me, what I do, where I go, where my children goes, where I work, how many properties I have how many tenants live in my property and how many are the member of the Labour Party? Yeah, so Chris, thoughts on that? So this is sort of surveillance that you'd expect to be carried out on criminals. This mm. <laughs> by, by police, by authority, not by your own party. Some of that you can say is uh, easy to check on online. We could check it from here. Uh, such as always oh, registered there. Now I, I've ran in election. Um, I know that I can only run in the areas that I live. Um, so that be itself. But to then say, oh, but you're regularly parking your car. And then, at this point, this this sounds like you've been spying <laughs> on this person mm. for quite some time to be able to tell that. It, yeah. It's, yeah. It's no, hundred percent. the line, it seems like right. you've already had a motive. Like the mission objective originally was go and find dirt, find something, not find out if they're clean or not, find something and don't come back until you have something to discredit this person, no matter what it is. Mm. Yeah, mate, uh, I think you're you're right in describing this as, as, as spying. I mean, this is intelligence work. Um, and as you said, a member of your own party, uh, these probably also would have been in the same constituency. So. It does also again show you the rivalry and the level of, of dirty tricks and dirty tactics, but dirty politics that, you know, supposed comrades are supposed to be, uh, yeah. you know, working together and trying to achieve things together and trying to, uh, you know, improve the conditions of their community or whatever. Um, and this is the kind of that they have. But the specific thing for me then is just also some of it is completely not even relevant. So sure, okay, if, if you're if you're suspicious about what's happening and this 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 group is doing something suspicious. Okay, okay, I guess you, you observe them and whatever, but why would you track where their kids go to school? Why would you share that information? And this also comes up later about data. So the kind of data that this, um, this member gathered um, and then gave to uh, other people who are in their camp, uh, they then took it and shared it and shared it to all sorts of people. And there's a huge data breach. I mean, it's not a very exciting point, you know, data breach, but um, data law. But, it, you know, it's a, it's a real fact. There's a legal element to it. And there's also a safety element to it because, you know, those are real kids at someone's house. at someone's, you know, these are real, real children and real people. So um, as much as it might be like, it. exciting. It's almost threatening, isn't it? I mean, like, as, as soon as somebody that you're having some sort of disagreement with says those words like, oh, I hope your kids are okay, or something like that or gives any indication they yeah. know where your mum lives this this, yeah. this is threatening subtext so yeah. the fact that they'd even consider that we've been tailing your kids mm -hmm. that's quite dark in itself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 100 
one hundred percent. Yeah, it's this, this, it's it's sinister at that point. And and, and yeah. then, you know, how can you, how can you uh, then feel comfortable in this party knowing that they see you as as infiltrating? I'm not going to play all of the stuff they said, but there's some of the other words that they had was they, that it was a takeover, that they were infiltrating, that they were colluding. And um, there's some graphs where they where they show the number of Muslim men and and which type of Muslim men they got Pakistani and Gujarati and all the different ethnicities, and they were counting how many they were and it was and is a, a terrifying sort of thing that they were trying to do. This 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 plotting against their supposed just to members. focus in as well on that word infiltrator because mm. words are important. And when mm. you're writing things like this, nothing gets used accidentally. When you're saying things, you're saying it to a dog whistle to the person reading it. An infiltrator is a very important one, especially. In, in this sort of political context. Obviously, we, we know about this sort of historical usage, Nazi Germany using the term against Jews or infil as infiltrators into, into Germany to corrupt people. Mm. Also, in Israel itself, it is something that's quite often used. Now, I don't know if a lot of people realise this, but in Israel, um, one of the biggest countries with the Jewish population is Ethiopia, a huge population of Ethiopian Jews. Of course, these aren't white. But when they listen to the Israeli propaganda that Israel is the home of the Jews, so they they listen to that and they believe that, they go to Israel, expecting to be welcomed as any white Jew would be, they get called by the Israeli media infiltrators, and they're not allowed in. They're not given the same automatic citizenship that a white Jew, that even non, a non-biological Jew would. I have to put that in air quotes because it's, it's yeah. iffy whether that even is a thing right. that exists. For right, instance, right. if, if me or yourself was to convert to Judaism tomorrow, we'd have more automatic rights to citizenship in Israel than an Ethiopian Jew would, on the count right. of our skin color. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right about the language, and and uh, yeah, this this thing about the the right types of Jews going to Israel and the sort of yeah. undesirable Jews, apparently. Yeah. Um, okay, so there was a description from um, Osborne the sort of journalist who took part in this thing, the Daily Telegraph, um, former political chief uh, editor. And um, I'm not going to play it, but he sort of said that when he read the descriptions of of what uh, these guys had said and how they were describing what was going on, uh, and it also, you know, he, he talks about the broadest stuff, you know, so this, um, you know, grooming gangs and all sorts of stuff. Uh, he said, it, you know, it, his words were, it looks like something from basically a far-right American group so you're talking about the kind of language that, yeah, you know, the, the Ku Klux Klan or some neo-Nazi group in America, um, some you know group like that would use to describe how the the Muslims are operating and infiltrating and what they're doing and they're um, conniving in the shadows and this kind of stuff. So those are his words that they were, you know, the, the words of something you would expect from a far-right American group. Um, I'm going to jump ahead to what happens then. So all of this, um, all of these, all of this data is collected. And these guys are treated in a certain way, and um, you know these infiltrating, and, and they even they call the sort of they notify people that oh there's a gathering of Pakistani men outside of our office, um, suspicious. Meanwhile, it was their members, it was people trying to yeah. take part in the you know process. Um, so again, yeah, they would never say there's a gathering of Jews outside, regardless right. whether the party or not. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly it, mate. That's it. Um, so I'm just going to jump ahead to uh, this one. Okay. Hours before party members were to vote on selecting candidates. The dossier advises the General Secretary to suspend Newham's Labour Parties and its Muslim leaders. Only a rigorous process of this sort will clean up the membership of both constituency Labour Parties in Newham. Within weeks, Mehmood Mirza is suspended, hours before party members were to vote on selecting candidates for local councils. If he hadn't have been suspended, he would have won overwhelmingly. So it's dirty tricks. Suspend well, him so at when there's no... Yeah. Did you see his T-shirt? Yes, I saw that. Che Guevara T-shirt. 
It wasn't Joey Guevara. It was Jeremy Corbyn. Oh, okay. I, okay. It was Jeremy yeah, Corbyn. It, was just, yeah. it had the silhouette of, of Che Guevara with Jim. So just so I want to point that out, because obviously what they're doing here, we, we pointed this out in the last episode as well. And it's this is something that even sort of the famous historical purges of, of say, the Soviet Union, you never even heard the Soviet Union purging entire branches. Mm. And this is literally like, this goes a step above targeting particularly individuals. Is that, oh, that entire branch is too left wing, too radical, get rid of them. Do anything to yeah. discredit them. They've all been infiltrated by um, what they want to say is socialists, but they're using mm. anything. Uh, uh, <laughs> for some reason, Pakistani men is a much more acceptable reason right. for them than, than just saying, honestly, that we're getting rid of socialists, we're getting any rid of anybody who is going to. Uh, threaten the incoming Labour leader and mm. his centralist sort of agenda, which is what Corbyn, uh, sorry, Kirstammer has done since he's, he's been in. This very obvious shift to the centre that we've seen. Yeah. And it's been laid the groundwork for these actions of, of purging anybody who's, who's likely to, to oppose them politically yeah. or not vote for them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, like you said, they, they, they kicked out and just used the rules in any way they could to get rid of um, individuals or even entire branches. I mean, it's crazy that they, they, they did this with a number, a number of branches. As we'll give a summary end of how many branches um, you know, went through this process that we know of. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. So stuff that they mentioned a bit further than uh, after this is um you know how obviously talking about the data stuff that there were a number of people in the al jazeera section that said this they very strongly believed that this is a break they were breaking the law by collecting this data then care then then um you know sharing it uh, and then later also mahmoud the the guy they kicked out um asked for the data so you, you under g under gpdr gdpr um, gdpr sorry um you know, you can ask for any data that is kept uh, on you from, uh, by an organization and they have to give it to you. Um, he's been waiting for two years and he still hasn't got it. So um, there's most definitely something not legal about how they keep this data and how they collect it. Yes, definitely. What's uh, sure the nature of what they have. Uh, yeah. So then when it comes back to, so this, the, the episode goes back to, um, you know, uh, racism and whatnot. And there's an interesting clip where one of the... Um, um, one of the yes, was when the black counselor from who had been educated in Oxford uh, tried to um, vote for Jeremy Corbyn or a Jeremy Corbyn candidate and try to oust a sitting a counselor who was also black. Um, and there was a huge uproar. And she, uh, the you know pro centrist, the pro Starmer um, counselor, sitting counselor, you know, then started using the language of of anti racism, sort of saying that she was she was now a racist. She was now uncomradely and this was um uh, you know all this language of liberation and language of progressivism to use to beat the uh, other counselor who dared to um you know try and put a herself forward or a jc jeremy corbyn pro sort of um, person in that council and and, and and challenging someone else so that's something else that they mentioned but i'm going to jump ahead to um uh the BLM stuff, so Black Lives Matter. So this, this, this episode is a lot about racism and how uh, race is actually used um, by uh, the opponents to Jeremy Corbyn, the, the, the Starmerites, if you want to use that word. Um, yeah, so I'm going to jump ahead to Blairites. this moment. Start talking about the Blairites, yeah, the new Blairites. <laughs> um, new Blair, not even new Labour, new Blair. Um, <laughs> Is that is that sharing there, Chris? Is that sharing? Um, no. Okay, one second. Sorry. Move that. Okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one moment. Okay. Leader of the Labour Party condemns the completely wrong tearing down of the statue of slave trader Edward Colston in Bristol at the weekend.
I see Keir Starmer as a man who has absolutely no political integrity. But it's like, what do I need to say? We've taken the temperature that everybody in this country is against the Colston statue being dropped. So therefore, it doesn't matter whether I think it's right or wrong, I need to take a position that it's wrong because that was what will get me elected. Yeah, so there we go. This is how race, racism, uh, yeah. and those kinds of issues are just used. So as she said, take the temperature, right? How do we uh, say this in the right way in order to get the most votes? So what we'll do yeah. is we'll support BLM and support uh, you know, fighting against uh, police brutality and all kinds of stuff, but we won't say the statue was terrible and should have been torn down. We're not going to touch that. Don't touch that. Say this. Don't touch that. And yeah. all of that is it's, a you having your cake and eating it, isn't it? And we said this in the last episode that when it comes to Kirst Starmer, he doesn't believe or stand for anything. He stands for winning. And that's it. He will literally say or do anything. And that's a lot of, like what we said earlier, uh, regarding the under-reporting of Islamophobia. Because, again, like she just quotes her, he's checked the temperature and found that the British public in large is okay with it. It doesn't mind Islamophobia. So it's not going to stand in the way of it. We've yeah. seen it with the uh, strikes. that he, is, he will not even support the uh, railway workers striking. So he's doing everything that he can to be that centralist, safer pair of hands to let the establishment know that he's not going to rock the boat. He's not going to change anything. He's not going to do anything. And that's yeah. that seems to be the strategy of getting into power. And it does seem to be working. Just to uh, divert a little bit. So Labour had their conference uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it was a BBC article that Keir Starmer is going to quote Tony Blair in his pitch for power. The fact that he sat down and decided that's what he's going to do is an incredible dog whistle. Because obviously for the Tories who are not Tory supporters, but normal working class people who have been voting Tory because they hate the Corbyn, <laughs> really. <laughs> and even before Corbyn, Ed Miliband, where the papers were calling him Red Ed because his dad was a communist. But they, they're trying to win those sort of centralist members back. And the last Labour leader they can remember liking was Tony Blair. Yeah. Like Margaret yeah. Thatcher famously said that her one of her greatest achievements was Tony yeah. Blair and New Labour. Hmm. So that's yeah. what he's trying yeah. to do. <laughs> I see. No, yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. I mean, glad you brought up this, um, the red wall, uh, you know, the Labour, older Labour voters. Because um, that's exactly what we're going to go into next. Um, because, yeah, talking about having no values and having no principles and checking the temperature, uh, there's a really, and actually specific, talking about dog whistles. I mean, I don't usually like this term dog whistle because it can get, it can get a bit uh, iffy as to, you know, what, you know, someone actually does mean and stuff. But I do think that dog whistles do exist. And this is a good example of one that is, yeah, Definitely not. Uh, um, well, I'm not going to spoil it here. You can you can see what the man says. Okay, so this is talking about their um, approach and how they're going to get back the red wall voters. So if you don't know what the red wall voters are, it's Labour voters in the north. It was always called the red wall because it was unbreakable. They would never stop voting Labour, and all of a sudden these voters were lost. Um, I would say primarily because of Brexit, not because of Corbyn, but they were lost nonetheless uh, in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. So this is. Keir Starmer and some individual, I think a consultant or someone, talking about how they're going to get the Red War voters back. But we do that. Um, thank you. Um, as I said in my presentation, for me, this is, it's of course not the only thing we have to do, but it is the most important thing to do. I don't think we're going anywhere unless we can reconnect uh, here. And it's where we're from, uh, and so it should be what we're about. Um, uh, I've got every confidence we can do this. Yeah, there you go. So I don't know, Chris, what are your thoughts on that? It's so, about where we're from and it should be what it's about what we're about. Well, it's where, where I'm from, I'm not sure about him. I don't think, think he's ever set foot in an estate where I was born. I don't think he'd, he'd fit in quite as well. Like he, he's the epitome of a sort of silver spoon. Uh, but he is right in terms of this definition of, of 
the red wall that and I think you've you've said it in the past in terms of like home ownership, Tories tends to be um home mm. owners where Labour support supporters tend to be renters. This this is class. This is this is what we're we're talking about when we decide realizing who's voting for what party. Mm. I remember when um Grenfell disaster happened, uh, I can't remember who took what Tory MP said it, but somebody said somebody flippantly said, "Well, it was just a bunch of to uh, Labour supporters who went up in flames," and it's sort of like a peek behind the curtain to the way these people think. Um, and of course, it is all Starmer needs to do to win back the Red Wall is not do anything because the Tories are sort of imploding themselves anyway. Right but at the moment, if there was an election right now, Labour thirty points ahead to win. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think actually um, someone made a, a great meme. They were like, if Starmer won the election now, it would be like winning the Great British Bake Off with a packet of two-minute noodles. Um, <laughs> it's utter chaos. So, yeah, all they need to do is just, just steer straight and, yeah, avoid stuff like this. But luckily, yeah. Al Jazeera just with some 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 uh, truth. Um, but it's interesting, yeah. like you've said at the beginning, that this isn't being discussed on the British media, mm -hmm. Al Jazeera is a huge network. It's not a foreign network that's been attacked and discredited in recent years to the same degree as, say, RT or Press TV has. Yeah. Al Jazeera, it, it, it comes from uh, Dubai. Uh, it's, it wins international awards. It's generally recognised as a reputable source. Uh, I know they've, they've been attacked in the, in the past where they had offices in, in Baghdad during Saddam Hussein and they accused it of, of towing the Ba'athist line in the past. Those days have, have gone. But mm. still, the media, the BBC, are all choosing to ignore it. If this came mm. out when, Kurt, when Jeremy Corbyn was leader of the Labour Party, they would have all reported on it. They would have shut up about it because it would have... Mm been good to attack the Labour Party then, but it's not convenient or politically convenient to do so now. Mm. Yeah. Even the Tories, yeah. not hearing the Tories say anything about it in Parliament during Prime Minister's questions. Why not? Why is nobody standing up and right. out that this report's come in to discredit their opponent? Because not Excellent. only does it discredit their opponent, it actually makes the previous leader look good, and that's not worth them doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. That's a very good point, that, that the fact the opposition... Uh, sorry, the, you know, the incumbents, <laughs> the yeah. Tories have not mentioned this either. Um, they clearly don't see the. Uh, I don't know why they've not used that. I mean, but yeah, because yeah. there's no gain to do so. I don't know if many of our viewers, especially the internationals, might not realise the relationship that the Labour Party currently have with Corbyn. But obviously, he's mm. still an MP in Parliament. He's had the the whip removed, which basically means that he's in the Labour Party, but he's not an MP acting for mm. the Labour Party. Mm. He's effectively yes. an independent. Hmm. But in the Labour Party and an MP, it's a very bizarre situation, which one I can't think of another time where this has ever happened. Right. No, it, it is It is a bizarre one. It's very bizarre. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think we haven't had something like this happen where you've had no. uh, essentially a civil war in a party where, and as this has shown, the degree where of... Where leaders of, come in and sacked the last one, kicked the last one out of the party. Yeah, yeah, massive, massive. Um, yeah, fair so, enough lines that uh, Osborne says, the Osborne who was in this documentary, um, he talks about sort of how this is, uh, you know, suggests a race to the bottom for bigoted white votes. Um, so I mean, in a sense, what he's talking about, which, which I would like to say about this, is that it is really um, sad to see, you know, such a lack of leadership. You're talking about classic sort of, you know, the ability to try and create a narrative that can you know, go beyond xenophobia. And there's obviously xenophobia and racism is a problem all over the world. Uh, in South yeah. Africa, we have xenophobia and racism, um, you know, everywhere. There's all sorts but it's, of it, it wins elections. And just like what you've said there, a lack of leadership, mm. that's that's the real sad thing about the people that we've, the leaders in the West that we have, that they're being led by pre-existing public opinion rather than they should be the, to be a leader, in my mind, is the one who drives ideas. Leaders like yeah. like Xi Jinping, who comes up with with solutions and ideas and presents them. That's leading. Not yeah. this is what the public already think. I will tailor my policies 
to fit the public's sometimes wrong ideas, which have been in self driven by a narrative made by the media. Right. 100%. That's exactly what I want to say is that this is sort of the opposite of vanguardism. You know, you don't want vanguardism yeah. of, of taking and leading society from the front and things like class consciousness and breaking down these sort of racial, uh, racist barriers and, and racist uh, mindsets. Um, you know, that's what a, a vanguard party would do. This is what someone, what, what any party should do if they actually call themselves yeah. a, a party that wants to lead. And as you just said, yeah, these guys are just checking the temperature and seeing statistically where and how to win. This is how to win under the current climate, regardless of what that means you have to say or what that means you don't have to say. Um, that's what they're doing. They're just, I mean, opportunism. They're just trying to seize an opportunity. Complete opportunism. Complete opportunism. Not caring, actually, whether and how they might uh, push the country a certain way by not choosing to have um, somewhat unpopular opinions. Um, yeah. that's, that's what leadership should be about sometimes. So, yeah, that sort of brings us to the end of the hierarchy um, episode. So we'll jump onto the spying game, but the spying game one is much shorter, and it really only centers around one main point, um, and it relates to Croydon. Okay, so Croydon, if you're not sure or not aware, is, is in London, um, a part of London, and there's a newspaper called Inside Croydon, and essentially within the Croydon um, council, uh, there were massive problems with funding and uh, there was, you know, sort of bankruptcies and whatnot. And there were massive issues. And some of the councillors, Labour councillors within that uh, constituency felt like they couldn't um, voice uh, opposition to the guys in charge. And so they started sharing and speaking to the press. Now, bear in mind that speaking to the press is something that all politicians do in all parties. And obviously, there's a bit of a line here when, you know, at what point... Um, are they betraying the party and how, you know, party discipline and all that kind of stuff. Um, I guess, you know, in British politics, uh, in American politics, and lots of people's politics, you know, the press and talking you know, politics and uh, politicians and the press talking to each other is a part of it. So um, I don't think that's enough to justify what happened. So then what happens, I'll just jump ahead to uh, what the editor of the Croydon, uh, Inside Croydon says and how, of what happened, what transpired. So one moment at least the beginning of what transpired. Finished working on whatever story I was working on that day fairly late. And I just noticed that there's something not quite right about the email account. Stephen Downs is the editor of Inside Croydon, an online news site that investigates the town's local government, Croydon Council. I turned to my son and said, yeah, can you turn the TV down? I think I've been hacked. I couldn't actually get into my emails. I was locked out by Inside Croydon email account. Unable to check his emails, he turns to Twitter. And then the tweet came through as well. A badly drafted tweet that just basically said to the 12,000, 13,000 followers that we had at the time that councillors Stephen Mann, Robert Canning, and Andrew Pelling had been acting as sources to Inside Croydon. I was horrified when I saw that. I was sick to my stomach. So there you go. So they used, they hacked and then used the information uh, to also then use the Twitter. I, I think that's, I always find that really bold. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, not only are they hacking and stealing all this information and doing stuff that we'll explain in a bit, but just going onto the Twitter, going and firing off a random tweet um, to everyone. That's, uh, I just thought that was quite crazy, actually. Um, yeah. You'll see that they're a bit worse. They're a bit sloppier later on. But yeah, thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, it's, it is a sort of a lazy tactic, isn't it? But it's so effective. We pointed this out in the last episode where there was um, a councillor who they accused him of, what was it, being a paedophile online? And as soon as the rumour goes out, you just can't defend against it. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, right. Exactly. So, yeah, it's very difficult to, to walk back from that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I just got, we've got a question here actually from someone. Uh, what do you guys think of party cooperation to overcome FT, FPTP's duopoly like in France? Sorry, FPTP's? I'm just not sure. You got that one, Chris? I don't... Yeah, I'm not sure what the acronym is. Uh, duopoly. So, yeah, you might have to help us first with what you First past the post. First past the post. Okay, I've got you. Of course, of course. Okay. Wow, okay, that's quite a question. Uh, 
Yeah, I've, I've heard this conversation before um, in terms of changing um, how elections are decided. Yeah, first past the post, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. So, yeah, so if you're not aware with what first past the post means, it means that you have a post, a certain number of votes, and the first party to go beyond that then wins uh, the election. And if alternatively, you actually count the total and you work with totals, and then you have a distribution based on the actual totals rather than giving all of the votes to one candidate. I think that's a correct understanding of first past the post. Um, so, yeah, so that would then give, if you got 10% of the vote in a constituency, then you could have 10% uh, 10% of the seats, 10% of the power, rather than 100% of the power going to one party. I've heard this thing um, discussed. I don't, Chris, do you have any thoughts on this? I think it, it's, um, it's always a double-edged sword, isn't it? Obviously, this has caused this monopoly of power in the UK and in America, where there are two-party systems and have been for so long. I mean, like, it, it, obviously, when you go back 100 years, it was Conservative and the Liberal Party. Before that, it was Conservative. There's always been two due to this, this system. Um, when you look at some countries that don't have it, uh, such, such as, like, Israel, you tend to get a lot of countries that end up with more coalitions than we do, and then themselves can be incredibly difficult to sort of govern with. So I think it it's a, it is a double-edged sword, I think. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, from it would certainly assist with breaking um, a monopoly of the duopoly, so how, how two parties can dominate because they have so much uh, wealth and so much uh, campaigning power and whatnot that you could still have then some representation, some votes. Um, again, though, it doesn't really address the effect that money and power has on uh, this system. So a bourgeois democracy even with if uh, first past the post, you'd still have the overwhelming power that certain interests have in campaigning. So, yeah, sure, PTP is a step, it's an improvement, but you also think, need to think about things like uh, campaigning limits um, and sort of money for money in politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to think and guarantee, yeah, so spending limits and then uh, guaranteed yeah. uh, budgets for smaller parties because at the end of the day, money wins. Campaigns, adverts, songs, newspapers—all of that thing stuff. All of that stuff costs money. And sure, okay, you you can get five percent, five seats if you have um, if you get those five seats in votes. However, that still doesn't mean you can pass legislation, uh, and that also still doesn't mean that you can um, form a majority. You know, uh, necessarily, you, you're, the powerful parties will still will still do that. So in France, yeah, especially as a, as a grassroots party. Mm. Um, so even in the UK, where we, we, there are newer parties that have now sort of joined the the uh, monopoly party, say in Scotland, the SNP, which in the scheme of things is relatively new. I think it was only really in, from the 90s onwards where they got to start getting any sort of traction. But that was a tremendous amount of money by some very rich people in Scotland who poured that money in. If this was sort yeah. of um, a genuine socialist party, they wouldn't have had the funding to do so. Sort of a similar situation where you're looking in a regionally in, in Catalonia, in Spain, you have the exact same thing that almost mirrors the SNP sort of rise. These parties that sort of got big in Catalonia due to the money that was influxed by some of the richest men in Spain who effectively just didn't want to pay taxes anymore. Okay, cool. I think we've we've had a good little uh, side side show there with the uh, first part, but very it's inaccurate. It's a, sorry, an appropriate question because it is, it is. very much how we're stuck in a two party system and how Labour, one of those two parties, is I don't know a criminal, <laughs> lying backwards, undemocratic mess. Um, so yeah, certainly a very appropriate question. So no worries. Thank you for asking. Um, so yes, going back to where we were, um, they hacked the journalists' emails tweeted on his Twitter. Um, then they spoke a lot in this episode. Again, I'm not going to play everything about how uh, this information was then passed around. And one of the councillors, one of the anti-Corbanites says, oh, I'm not sure if we can use this, uh, but I feel compelled. It's in the public interest. And then they all share it around and, and it's then, you know, shared to all sorts of people. Again, data protection uh, stuff comes up. Um, but as we saw earlier, they used this information to then purge members of the left. So there was a, a gentleman that it was in this constituency, a lifelong member, very nice man that they interviewed, uh, you know, just a diehard supporter. And he had left-leaning views. He was pro-Corbyn. They kicked him out. 
uh, they used what they could find in the emails to show that he had, um, you know, plotted against the party and all sorts of stuff, whatever the accusation was, it doesn't really matter. They would just make up anyway. Um, so, yeah. Uh, then the new chief whip, so they appointed a new chief whip. Uh, and he makes a nice point about, um, actually, I'm not going to play that. I'm going to play the next part. So the new chief whip actually appointed also uh, said, yes, uh, sure, there is a, a concern about the public good and we should um, consider that. But at the end of the day, this, these are hacked goods. These are stolen goods. And what these guys were sharing to the press, um, the original councillors when they spoke newspaper, was stuff relating to the mismanagement of this council, financial mismanagement of this council. So they were doing stuff in the public good. You then hacked and, uh, you know, exposed them. This idea of the public good is not going to go well for you. So even this chief whip they appointed said that what they'd done was was not uh, defendable, was uh, was was wrong. Um, so I'm going to play the next point, which is just some of the sloppiness again. And I'm curious to see your response to this, Chris, because I, I, I have a certain understanding of what happened here. Um, I'm just going to double check with you. So I'm going to play it now. Inside Croydon, the story was not over yet. In the next day or two, some quite strange things happened to some of the people that I emailed. Uh, in that if they responded to me, they were getting uh, automatic responses from the leader of the Labour group to say that their email had been blind carbon copied to them as well. Okay, so my understanding of that is they would email him and it would arrive in his inbox. The person who sent the email would then get what I understand to be an automatic reply from the leader. So that thing, for example, hello, Councillor John yep. has received you. Well, he's not in the office today. They were yep. receiving that, is my understanding of that. Is that you, do you get the same meaning from that? Yeah, so it's so the person who's hacked has basically just forgotten to take the automated response off. So they've put themselves on as a car as a CC um, mm. on the email list without him realizing. Uh, if they'd taken a few moments to just take off their automated responses, then it wouldn't have been obvious that they'd done so. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, not only yeah. are they deceiving, but they're stupid about it as well. They're just very right. careless. It's showing again this some of the shoddiness that we've seen. Um, on various yeah. elements of this stuff, just some stuff in the open, using lies, um, uh, the tweet thing, and then also this, just if you emailed him, you got an email back from the, the Labour leader saying, oh, uh, we've received your email. I'm not in the office today. He <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> shouldn't be in the office anyway. This isn't your office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so, and then they finished that film, the spying game episode, with a question, basically. Um, if these guys, Keir Starmer, and all of his friends and supporters in the Labour Party, if they get into power and they're willing to do this to get there and are willing to spy and hack and cheat and lie uh, and follow people's kids, what are they going to do when they get into power? That's it, isn't it? Good question. Yeah, and I've, okay. I've, often, I've, I've often pointed this question out to, especially, especially to my partner, in, in the way things are going at the moment with the situation in Ukraine. Um, when you look at what's going on in Ukraine, obviously I don't want to sidetrack the conversation too much into that direction, but with what Zelensky mm. is doing to his opposition over there and mm. how that's sort of been normalised to treat, how long till we're treated as traitors in the UK? How long till mm. voices like ours who speak against the system uh, to... But at the moment, we're not sort of being pretentious, and we know we're not a, a huge channel. We're not a huge, got a huge audience. We're not, yes. we're not a threat. I'd love to be able to pretend one day we will be a threat. But at, at what point do they clamp down on us? Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree. I agree with you. Um, there's the quote. You know, first they came for the communists. First they came for the Corbynites. And yep. I was quiet when they came for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You get the joke. But um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's also, again, very concerning. Yeah. What would they do when, the, when you're the target, when you're next? Um, yeah. 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 Uh, so 
before I give the recap on the sort of, well, actually, I will give that recap now. Sorry. Yeah. So in summary, all the stuff that was raised, so don't, I'm not going to go through, it's not going to be a long list, but this, these, this is the short list of what, amongst other things, were raised in these leaks. So one of the boroughs in Liverpool, where they made the false allegations of homophobic attacks and then suspended the whole borough, um, the utter lies of spitting and further attacks and anti-Semitism, they made up in Brighton to overturn the left-wing group that had won the majority. The party's still aiming to um, overturn that result. Then uh, the direct involvement of Israeli intelligence agents in certain structures of the Labour Party. Um, then the bizarre relationship between the Zionists and far-right organizations such as the EDL. The role that the BBC specifically played in broadcasting false events and false narratives against Jeremy Corbyn. Obviously, other newspapers were involved too. Um, the insane idea that Jeremy Corbyn was anti-Semitic. Um, and then, of course, kicking out countless Jewish people uh, and accusing them of being anti-Semitic. Um, the sort of utterly plastic values that Labour holds under Starmer, uh, where they, you know, wave the flag of BLM um, or, you know, whatever convenient moment or movement is happening at the time. Uh, yeah, so that they, they almost instantly regretted doing that, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they did. They did. Uh, of course, no, no imagination when how to attract new voters, no vanguard, no um, boldness to lead, no boldness to, to break down uh, problematic uh, political trends. Uh, then mm, the characterizing of a Muslim majority borough as an infiltration and a takeover, uh, tracking rivals in the party and following their kids, uh, keeping and sharing sorts of, all sorts of data that um, they definitely should not have, uh, hacking the press, or sort of almost uh, reverse Watergate, Watergate style, sort of anti-Assange style, and then yeah. also just doing shoddy spy work. But those are the two things I was going to finish off with is that, you know, their kinds of actions with the press were basically the opposite of Assad. I'm oh, sorry, Assad, Assange, um, yeah. uh, you know, hacking in order to protect those in power uh, as opposed to hacking in order to speak truth to justice and all that kind of stuff, power to truth and all that kind of stuff. Um, and their racism being sort of, their anti-racism being racist. So having a hierarchy of racism. Uh, and these are the two... Um, sort of points I finish on in terms of, you know, what these files showed us, along with lots of other things. Um, I think it's just a short summary, or at least my summary of what stood out to me uh, and was, yeah, pretty shocking stuff. Very shocking stuff. Um, yeah. Chris, I don't know if you want to add any summary of that, because we do have the Sanders stuff, but I'm also conscious of time. How's your time, Chris? Um, yeah, obviously with Sanders, this is another, an entire other episode i think it's going to a lot of it's going to mirror uh but because it's the same sort of tactics and so mm. often these are so unimaginative tactics lazy just inept these some of the most inept spies that we've ever seen i mean when you look at some of the the the, the when they talk about putin and uh what was his name the man who was poison poisoned with Uranium uh, in London, and um, it, himself was absolutely insane. Some of the things that he accused Russia of, of doing were just insane. But you almost long for competent spies. Like when you watch things like James Bond and the, like, the, the political spy game, like, where is that? Like we've, we yeah. end up with people who leave themselves CC'd into <laughs> you have yeah. got to my political office. Like, <laughs> or Israelis caught on camera saying, no, 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 you can only use me. You can only yes. copy my yes. ideas. You can't use me as yes. a source. Like, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing that it's ignored. It's like, if you paid attention to this, this would be one of the greatest political comedies ever conceived. This right, right, uh, right. The, right in the vein of the in the thick of it or the death of stalin this is this is comedy gold yeah absolutely well i mean on the on the on the question i think you know we want to see you know when you talk about spy stuff you want to see james bond um but these guys are i've done johnny english this is very yeah. much johnny. <laughs> yeah. yeah we've got austin um, powers yeah. <laughs> austin powers johnny english yeah just, just mr bean just mr bean i think it's probably better yeah. but uh so since we've got time constraints, uh, we will have to then maybe you have to mention the Sanders stuff and talk about Sanders stuff next time or in a different episode because next yeah, week we are going to be talking about Chinese um, Congress, the Communist Party's Congress. Um, yes. You know, big event, very important 20th Party Congress, and we'll be covering that next week. Um, 
yeah, we do have some stuff to say about the Sanders leaks, Podesta leaks, and I found some very um, openly, almost identical uh, links and similarities between what we saw with these leaks and what you saw six or seven years ago with the Podesta leaks, which led to yeah. Sanders not being elected uh, as the leader of the Democratic Party, and then most likely leading to Trump uh, being uh, president of the US. Um, but yeah, we'll save that for another time. Thank you very much, Chris. It's been good. Thank Chris you very much, good. Rich. We'll see you and next thank week. You watching. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you everyone who's uh, been watching the comments or all the comments and catch us next week. Please like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. And we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Cheers, Chris. And that is it for this episode of the Marxist Think Tank. Catch us every other week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at marxistthinktank.org. Our editor is Sean Sanchez. News writer and producer is Reggie Truman. And I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening.